everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after a game that I think I'm going to need to compartmentalize the good and the bad of this game because uh, there is, okay, we we all know about Sean Reynolds' brooding pessimism. There's gonna This is going to be a Sean Reynolds' brooding pessimism version of the Kenny and Rennie show. Yes, he's returned. He's got something to say. He's got beef with the way the Winnipeg Jets played this game. But I will say it's not a traditional one of those shows. And there's a very big reason for that in that I think that the Jets, uh, one of the problems that I'm going to get into, I'm going to dig into a little bit here, is something that they used to leave unchecked, unresolved. And the one thing about this game is everything that I'm going to kind of rant about in the next little while they addressed, uh, they corrected to a degree at some point in the game, uh, and they made very clear going forward it is not an acceptable practice. But you know me, the whole idea I have of the, the, the tortoise and the hare, the Jets being the hare, toying with the tortoise. Uh, this was the first two periods of this game. It was another one of those games. Um, there's there's such a thing as an off night, and then there's such a thing as taking the night off. And the Winnipeg Jets, I thought, didn't take the night off here tonight. They got those first two goals, came flying out of the gates, and then they took the rest of the first period off. Allowed the Canucks back into the game, went into the second period, two quick goals, and then took the majority of the second period off again. Um, just like a team that basically has, has, you know, no sense of urgency, uh, not a lot of respect, I think for their opponent in, in, uh, in, you know, basically toying with them and letting them back into the game and then taking, you know, racing out from there after that point, uh, I thought right at the end of the first period and Ken will be able to back you up on this. Sarah Orleski could back you up on this if you wanted, but I said right before they scored their fifth goal, okay, the jets are going to turn it on here. Uh, they look like they've turned it on. They're going to score that token goal that they get at the second, uh, at the end of the second period, at the end of a period, go up like that. What I, I, I've said this time and time again, this very nature of the Winnipeg Jets, this thing that they have inside them that allows them to approach a game in that manner, in the manner that they will toy with an opponent, not take a game seriously. Yeah. I know there's a lot of you out there who have always said from the beginning, oh, here he goes again. They scored seven goals. What else does he want from them? Well, what I want from them is them to play a style of game that is going to have success in the playoffs. And what I love about how the Jets responded to this was they showed up in the third period. They corrected it in the third period. Their goaltender picked it up in the third period. So they they fixed this the right way, got back to the kind of game that they should be playing within that game, whereas in years past, the Jets wouldn't have. They just would have kept cruising. They would have got that fifth goal. They would have played more pond hockey in the third period. They probably would have won that game because, let's be honest, the Vancouver Canucks are not going to the playoffs. They're not a very good team. There's We're going to talk about it here tonight. That goal that is scored, the Lowry goal, that's great and everything like that for, for a team to be sitting back and allow a full length breakaway pass like that. There are like five hands sleeping at the wheel for something like that to happen. That's bad hockey straight out the jets though. They came back and then started playing the right way. So within that game, they made the correction. They made the realization that, yeah, this isn't the way you win a hockey game. We're not willing to just go through this game and pond hockey it through the third period. We're going to correct it. But the most important thing is at the end, Rick Bonus has asked about that game 
And this is the line. This is everything that I've said uh, in years past. He said it after that game. You do not win in the playoffs with a game like that. And I know a lot of you will say, yeah, okay, so the Jets leave that behind and then they go to the playoffs and they play different. Well, they don't. Go think back to 2019 and the Winnipeg Jets in a game that they had to have their best in game six against the St. Louis Blues did not show up in that game until the very, very end of that game and made a push. But that was a no-show from the Winnipeg Jets. So if you want examples of this game that they played translating to the playoffs, they exist. They are there. And Rick Bonus puts it out there after the game. This is not a game you win in the playoffs with. And the thing I like most about it is he'd said about this, you tell the guys, you try and correct these kind of games because the Jets have had these games earlier on in the year. This was a very part of the Jets' DNA in years past. And it's what Rick Bonus is trying to root out. And he said as much in his comments after the game. He said, we said to them, you can't be doing this anymore. And they go out and then they do it again. And he said, you can't be doing this anymore. They go out and they correct it. And then they do it again. And it's been that pattern. But the best part about this and one of the reasons the Winnipeg Jets are where they are is because when they falter like this when they let that old Winnipeg Jets style of not taking the opponent seriously not taking the game seriously when they let that bleed in Rick Bonus is right there after the game saying in a 7-4 loss basically his entire press conference is about everything the Jets did wrong in that game because he's not going to sit by and let that happen he said as much this Part of the Winnipeg Jets needs to be rooted out during the season before they get to the playoffs so they're ready to play for the playoffs. So Sean Reynolds' brooding pessimism is alive and well in the first two periods of that game because I don't think it's an acceptable brand of hockey to play. I think Ken uh, talked in the last game, in this last show, I thought the timing of this was perfect. He talked about where we think the Winnipeg Jets exist or, or, or rank amongst the elite teams in the league. This is not a Boston Bruins thing. You don't get this, what you saw from the Jets in the first two periods from a team like the Boston Bruins. So if you want to know where they rank, this, what they're dealing with in the first two periods of that game, yes, they win, but what they're dealing with in the first two periods of that game are what keeps them from being an elite team at the level of the Boston Bruins. But the good thing is you've got a coach that recognizes it, points it out, says it's unacceptable, even though they go out and win a 7-4 game, and says, we need to correct this. And from what we've seen from Rick Bonus, is everything he set out to do, he's done for the most part this year. This, to me, is the final frontier. Trying to eliminate this attitude, this style of game from the Jets that they showed in the first two periods, and then were able to eliminate in the third period. That's the final frontier. Well, if the Jets, if Rick Bonus can beat that out, of the Winnipeg Jets, you have yourself a cup contender in the Winnipeg Jets if he can get there. And I'm going to go on the record and say, not that they're winning the cup, I'm not saying that, but I'm going on the record and saying Rick Bonus will get to this element of the Jets and root it out. And it's and and I'm going to go on the record right now and say this, this, what he's dealing with right now was the very biggest problem that the Winnipeg Jets have had for the last number of years. You call it culture, you call it whatever you want. But that was the problem that was always existent within the Winnipeg Jets over the last number of years. It's the thing they need to kill to make it to the next level. That's my take on it. Uh, for the take of the guy who uh, is going to come in and uh, 
Maybe, maybe challenge it. Maybe not challenge it. Maybe agree with it. We'll see. Uh, he's popping up comments in the background here that I need to get rid of for his video. Now that I've done it, it's time to bring in our main man with the best music in the business. Ken, my friend, I had a feeling you were going to bring the A game with the suit tonight. I knew it was going to happen, so I had to bring the A game as well. I had a little time, so I decided to head home to see if I couldn't cut the commute out of my time here tonight. And sometimes I like to get a little more comfortable when I get home, you know, slip into the T-shirts and stuff like that. But with you bringing the suit game the way you are tonight, I had to make sure I was bringing it as well. So I left the suit on. Vittorio Rossi special. If you want to look like Kenny and Rennie, you know what you got to do. Head on down to Corden Avenue and go see the boys at Vittorio Rossi Clothiers. Frank and the boys, they'll do you upright. Uh, hey, Sweet Lou has already gained legendary status. We'll talk about him later on. But Sweet Lou heads to Vittorio Rossi. If it's good enough for Lou, it's good enough for you. See what I did there, Kenny? I took the 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 Lou advertisements. I turned it go. into a Lou slash Victoria Cross Rossi promotion. Good job. Cross Tell promotion. them Kenny and Rennie sent you. You should also Tell remind folks Kenny that. Kenny and Rennie sent you. Exactly. Ken, how are you doing tonight? What do you think of the game? Fantastic. Uh, I knew you would be smiling when we opened, uh, even, with, even with Sean's brooding pessimism, when Rick Bonus... Uh, delivered the quote to your <laughs> to your beautiful question in the post game show uh, you knew that it was going to be a good day for Sean Reynolds you yes. saw two different teams out there you saw the team that we wanted to be in the first 11 minutes of the first period uh, and then he went on to say a whole bunch of other things when you get into the playoffs you can't play like the way we did today it's as simple as that you can't uh, so again, and I think that you mentioned it perfectly. I mean, when people were going crazy saying, well, what do you need for, to call the Jets an elite team? Well, that's it. Eliminate that part of your game. I know it's almost impossible to do. The Carolina Hurricanes lost in a shootout to the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday, Sean. I understand teams sometimes don't play, uh, above their level of their opponent. It happens, but that's part of the reason why I think there's only one elite team in the NHL currently. Uh, anyways, and kudos to you. Uh, you know, you did you did wear out your right arm patting yourself on the back the other day. But uh, I, I was sore this morning. Folk, folks in the chat, I can co-sign. Sean looked at me about twelve seconds before Axel Janssen Fialbi ripped a wrister over the shoulder of Spencer Martin and said. You know, the Jets are probably in that situation right here where they're probably going to get a goal before the end of the period. And then he looked at me and was hoping that I had a tape recorder on. But fortunately, <laughs> my memory is sharp enough to uh, allow and voice the fact that Sean actually nailed that one as well, which you know he often does, as we know. Uh, in terms of the game overall, uh, I mean, you touched on a lot of the things that I would have would have considered issues for the Jets in this game. So I'm going to focus on some another element, and that element is the Jets' uh, reconfigured top line. Uh, you and I have been oh, talking goodness. about this for two Ooh. and a half years already. 
Um, this is the line I have envisioned for three years. It has not shown up very often um, in terms of their production and all clicking at the same time. But holy smokes, three goals from Kyle Connor, four assists from Pierre-Luc Dubois, and a goal and an assist from Nikolai Ehlers. And I'm not just talking about the production, Sean. Kyle Connor could have had five. He could have made someone a million-dollar million dollar winner today yeah. on the score and win. Uh, he was buzzing around all game long. The puck was following him. Uh, his line mates were you know, finding him in open spaces. Uh, their reads were much better. Nikolai Ehlers was not zigging when the others were zagging, though he was zigging and zagging at, you know, at relative time points in time. Uh, I thought Ehlers was absolutely excellent in his second game back after the sports hernia surgery. Uh, Kyle Connor, Kyle Connor's getting to Tom Brady-like levels in terms of his precision when it comes to his shooting. Sean, I understand it's completely different sports, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, yep. He's getting he when the puck gets on his stick, he's gonna get a dangerous shot away. One, you know, once in a while, it might miss the net or it might hit the goalie. The odd time, the goalie might make the save. But to me, Kyle Connor is starting to get dialed in, and that is something that's scary for the opponent. I'm not quite sure that my prediction of 50 will come true, uh, but it's a whole lot closer to coming true than it was after 13 games when Kyle Connor had two goals and one of them was in an empty net in the opener. So uh, that's an encouraging sign for the Jets. Absolutely, Nikolai Ehlers. I mean, that's the Nikolai Ehlers that they need. And again, I'm not saying the Jets need Nikolai Ehlers to have three points every single game. What they need him to do is be dangerous the way that he was tonight. And... Again, he's just easing himself back into the lineup, Sean. That's a 15-minute game for Nikolai Ehlers. Nikolai Ehlers is going to be playing 20 minutes when he gets back up to speed and when the games really count and matter. Um, You know, obviously, Mark Scheifele's line, uh, still room for improvement there. We understand it's going to take a little bit more time for those guys to get clicking and cohesive like they were before the injuries to Blake Wheeler and Cole Perfetti. Uh, But when the Jets have both of those lines going at the same time, that is a very dangerous one-two punch. Uh, But I really thought that their top line was absolutely excellent today. And we'll save the rest of the stuff on the back end uh, for when we dive in a little bit further here. But to me, um, you, you said all the things, Sean. I mean, the Jets were sleepwalking. at you know, First nine minutes, excellent. They could have run that team right out of the rink. But yeah. you and I have both <laughs> seen games like this. Uh, it turned into a little bit of point night activity to me. Uh, they got a little bit loose in terms of their defensive zone coverage, kind of fell asleep at the wheel. Uh, you had a couple of times where... Battles were lost that are normally won by players who don't lose a lot of battles. Their defensive posture was not very good. Uh, and, you know, that required the defense pairing shakeup that we're going to get into a little bit down the road. Uh, you know, David Riddick had a little bit of a suspect start. Uh, we didn't have to ask Rick Bonus about the challenge. Obviously, Bo Horvat was in three steps ahead of time. But that was not a great start for Riddick. He, I thought he kind of got sharper after the disallowed goal because of the coach's challenge that was successful for offside. But there were a couple of like kind of loose ones that were allowed by Riddick. But I'm with you. I thought Riddick in the third period uh, stepped up his game and his teammates stepped up in front of him as well. Uh, overall, I thought you, 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 again, I've been patting you on the back this whole buffet trip here. I thought you captured it perfectly. I don't think the Jets underestimated their opponent or took the game off. It was just an off game. But even in an off game, the Jets showed elements 
of the team that they are and want to be. And then they really locked things down in the third. Once they got the 5-4 lead, it was not a contest anymore. You know, even though they had to get a shorthanded goal to get the insurance marker and then eventually got the Kyle Connor hat trick goal to put, you know, make it a three goal game. Uh, I just didn't think the game was in question after the Jets got that fifth goal uh, from Axel Janssen Fialbi. You know what? I love it. I love it that our chat room is recognizing this. I mean, Julie Sue says they played down to a lesser team and then just outskilled them when they needed to, which isn't a great game plan. Team Mackey, I think, absolutely nails this. A superior team versus an inferior team. Jets knew they could score at will and got lazy in other parts of their game. Bones gave them a kick up the bum, and they got it together in the third. I think that's the first time and I've ever And that's a metaphorical said, kick for, for yes. folks uh, out there, yeah. just, just to be sure. Yes, uh, but um, I, 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 I like it that, and, and hey, this, is, this is what you need. You need a coach like, like Rick Bonus who can kind of lay this out and can kind of explain to people why a 7-4 win is sometimes not necessarily a good thing. It's not the win that's the problem. It's the, the things that happen within that game and the problems with it. I love that the chat room is seeing this. I don't think there were a lot of people that saw this in the years past and saw that there were these issues that were underlying that needed to be addressed. And one of the reasons why is because they had a head coach who really didn't talk about it. And, 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 and one of those things has to do, we know this about Paul Maurice. It's a coaching style. And there's a lot of coaches that take this style. Paul Maurice did not ever like to introduce a negative in the media. He, he thought that, I, I mean, I, I don't want to go on the record and, and sorry, not on the record. I don't want to go out and say what he thought because I don't know what he thought. My take is that he thought if you introduce a negative into the media, then we talk about it. And then all of a sudden people are talking about, you know, like David Riddick had a bad first two periods. And then, well, now you're going to get it into a player's head, right? I think that was his take on it. One of the things I like, and I was walking out of the game with Kevin Sawyer, and we were talking about this and the difference between the old coaching regime and the new coaching regime. The one thing that I always said about this was like Rick Bonus talks about the problems, and I think that him talking about the problems is a show of confidence. People would think it's the other way around. You would you would think that a coach talking about what his players did wrong and what they did poorly, the way that he did for the majority of the post game tonight in a seven four victory would be a way that you create poor confidence. I I counter and I say Rick Bonus is okay in a 7-4 game introducing negatives and talking about the things that were wrong because he has confidence in his team, because he says this is a problem, but we're going to address this problem and I know that we can beat this problem. So I can talk about the plays that these guys took off. I can talk about the lack of effort and where it existed. I can do all these things that we never really heard about under Paul Maurice because his take on it is I can drag the skeleton out of the closet because I know that we're going to slay the monster when we do expose it. I just think the other side of it created a monster that never got slayed, and I thought it was one of the biggest problems for the Jets. Moving on, uh, your lamplighter of the game, Ken. Yeah, I mean, with all due respect to Axel Janssen, Fialbi's game winner, which was a very good shot that probably should have been stopped. Uh, I'm going Dylan DeMello. Uh, a lot of folks, including Michael Remus, uh, gave me a you know bit of a bit of a you know online trashing uh, for not giving it to DeMello and his with his first goal in forever. Uh, I will provide the lamplighter to Dylan DeMello. 
And it was only possible because of an excellent play by Axel Janssen-Fialbi, who took a pass from Dylan Sandberg up the boards, pushed the defense back, created an odd man rush, made a nice drop pass to Dylan DeMello, who absolutely roof daddies his shot uh, past Spencer Martin for that sixth goal. I thought that was a fantastic play all around. And although I did like a lot of the goals and there were some really nice passing plays, uh, as mentioned, while the Jets' top line produced four goals and ten points, I think it's the Dylan DeMello shorthander for the Lamplighter for me this evening, uh, brought to you by the good folks over at Trans Canada Brewing Company. I like it. Before we go too far, if anyone knows Kenny's water bottle, can someone please check in on him? He's agreed with me three times today. <laughs> he must be... <laughs> So sick with a fever or something like that right now. He, he's being, he's he's all over my takes. Usually he's trying to tear them down. This time he's building them up. Something is wrong with Kenny's water bottle. Check on the people you love, and we love Kenny's water bottle. We hey, and Sean, by the way, take care of him. Kenny's water bottle was in the seats, so it was not your theory is incorrect. It's not so my theory, eh? We're gonna, I don't we're know. gonna have to he keep said looking. In his, he said in his section. Oh, his section on. may Fair still enough. be Fair the enough. section that I think Fair of enough. here. Um, but we, we, when he gets back in, we'll have to say something nice about Billy Hainala moment of the show. This is the moment of the show where we need Kenny's water bottle to say something terrible about Rennie to show that he's okay. We love you. We want you to be okay. Kenny's water bottle. So make sure you're okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. And I think it was an important goal an important time in the game. I just think that first goal, the movement on the puck between oh, that yeah. line, the zone entry by Nick Ehlers, the way he gets it all the way across the ice Tremendous. and then busts to the front of the net as Pierre Dubois feeds him back and then he finds Kyle Connor. That is just the kind of stuff that just leaves. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I'm kind of surprised. That was like kind of a knockout blow to start the game. I'm surprised the Canucks got off the mat and, and the answer to part of that is the Jets let them off the mat. But I thought that that was the kind of, and I think the Jets did too, that was the kind of goal that another team is just like, we're not in the same league as these guys. Let's just get off the ice as quick as we can. Run the, run the whistle. Let's go to no stop time. You know what I mean? Let's run the time and get out of this game as quick as we can. It was that nice. I thought it was phenomenal. Uh, we'll see what everyone else has to say. But if you're interested in uh, a frosty, delicious eight-pack of Lamplighter Amber Ale, and if you're not, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, we should check in on you as well. As we need to check in with Kenny's water bottle to see if you're okay. But all you got to do is tell us your goal of the game, your Lamplighter of the game, and you are automatically entered to win a frosty, delicious eight-pack of Lamplighter Amber Ale from our, can our friends at TransCanada Brewing Company. If you can't wait for us to hand one out to you, though, Head on down to TransCanada Brewing Company, and you can go check them out at their tap room at 11290 Keniston. Stop in and grab a pizza. You saw JC earlier on was talking about enjoying a lamplighter and some TCB pizza. I've said it once. I'm going to say it pretty much every time here. If you do win the Frosty Delicious A-Pack and you head down to TransCanada Brewing Company, make sure you grab a couple of their other beers to check it out because they're amazing and make sure you try that pizza. It is absolutely phenomenal. And it's time now to announce... The winner of the uh, Lamplighter 8-pack from the last show. But I need to edit that last line, Ken, because the previous 8-pack was not claimed. So it's a 16-pack oh, for this show. Steph oh. B., who I believe is Steph Ballingall. Steph B., you are on the clock to claim a frosty, delicious 16-pack of Lamplighter Amber Ale because the last one went unclaimed. You are on the clock. Direct message me at Reynolds. Send me your full name and your email, and you will 
receive a voucher for two frosty delicious eight packs of lamp lighter amber ale oh, hey, make and sure Steph you get can pick those up sean when she comes to the live show that's sold out Steph for is going to be at the live show and steph has also uh hopped in the queue for one of the later shows as well so she yeah if she doesn't want to take an extra trip she can come on down and grab it there but congratulations steph if it is steph ballingall i believe it is congratulations to you and uh let's move on ken to the johnson group got you covered play of the game yeah for me uh it's the pass by Brendan Dillon to spring Adam Lowry for the breakaway that results in the Morgan Barron tap-in after the Lowry move goes off the post. But that play is not possible without the stretch pass. As you mentioned, it meant that a bunch of Canucks were asleep at the wheel uh, for that play to occur. Uh, but I thought the pass by Dillon, who was you know provided two of the uh, five points from defensemen this evening, uh, I thought that was really a sharp play. Um, and the, you know, honorable mention to Matt Prefontaine for the coach's challenge that took the early Canucks goal off the board uh, when it looked like the Jets had given up a goal on the ensuing shift after Kyle Connor opened the scoring. Uh, I just got to sorry, this is Terry Stapleton, uh, one of the uh, one of the um, minds behind CBC Manitoba News here in in Manitoba. I used to work with him. Absolutely great guy, phenomenal journalist. Uh, I ran into him uh, in the walkway the other day, Ken. I didn't know he watched the show, and he said he checks it out, and he was talking awesome. about it. Thank you, so I was hoping to see him uh, in the chat room at some point, and uh, I'd love to see him jumping in uh, on the lamp later. That's excellent stuff. I, I was just going to say this about that play, Ken. That was, like, I don't use this often. I don't like to be too harsh in my assessment. I don't know. We probably don't have a lot of Canucks fans checking this out. That was Bush League. To allow that breakaway to be sitting back in their zone the way they were. To me, that was like peewee level hockey at that stage. I don't know that I've ever seen that happen in an NHL game before where a team is sitting back and allows a full length pass for a breakaway in that situation. That was asleep at the wheel as you get. I mean, if you're looking for signs of a team that just isn't able to get a lot of things together, you know, Rick Bonus talked about it. That that Canucks team is a dangerous team offensively. Uh, Elias Pettersson, you saw from him tonight, like he, he's a, there was a couple night or excuse me, as good as the Jets first line played in that game, there were night or, or shifts that Elias Pettersson's line went out there and was running their show. Like yeah. they they are a really good line, a good offensive line when they want to be, but the breakdowns that we saw from that Canucks team and that one especially, that is a play I contend this a hundred times over. That is a play that should not happen at the NHL level. For it to happen, it is a very much a symptom of what is wrong with that Vancouver Canucks team. They are not making the playoffs. There are parts of that team that are entirely broken that they can't recover from. And that to me is a sign of that. That is not a play that should ever happen. A breakaway with all five of your players back supposedly playing in a defensive system that allows you to pass the puck from behind your own net right to the blue line and have a guy going on a breakaway that should not happen that is a sign of a team that has a sickness that is it is not able to cure even worse that the trailer is not picked up by it's bad enough that the breakaway happens exactly How how do you not pick up the second guy like morgan Barron basically was standing there and allowing you just went unchecked. Like it's bad enough that nobody tra- chases tries to chase down Adam Lowry, but man, you you, you have to pick up the trailer. That that is like one of the golden rules. 
And Kenny's water bottle, you're going to have to send me another DM because if you've hidden it, I don't have the DM that you are that you are. Uh, maybe you, uh, maybe it's in there, but please resend, and we'll definitely do our best to get you the shovel made. We'll get. And it I will. Again. I will no. keep your. I will keep your identity under wraps for our good friend and my co-host yes. Sean Reynolds. No doubt. Um, yeah, you're, to, to go back to that, you're right. There was derelict of duty everywhere on the ice there. To your point, to allow oh. the to allow Lowry that 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 breakaway, that's bad enough as it is. But then to entirely ignore the only threat left on the ice oh. after he goes out. I mean, there's three Canucks players that swung and missed, and this is like one of those one that's in the dirt and you swung the bat around your chin. That's how bad. They missed on that one. That's, I mean, if you're a Canucks fan and you're watching that play, that is a hand to the face palm moment uh, of epic proportions. That kind of play shouldn't be happening at the NHL level. It's problematic for them uh, that it is. Um, okay, I wanted to move on here. Uh, let's get into the second line. You've talked a little bit about them, um, and, and I want to get into some stuff. I want to talk about that first line a little bit. I'm going to wait for it a little bit later in the show because we did talk about Sean Reynolds' brooding pessimism and like some of the, you know, I got it out at the beginning, the negative parts of that. That said, there was so much positives to focus on in this game, and we want to get to that. Let's get to the second line, though, and where you think they're at. Um, and you and I had a little bit of a conversation. You came over to the yep. broadcaster side and talked with me a little bit about um, that line and where you'd see a guy like Perfetti with him coming off injury, where he is with his game. Same thing uh, with Blake Wheeler. Uh, Mark Scheifele is playing with two new guys who are trying to kind of figure it out. Uh, you you kind of like use the line almost like coming out of training camp. But where do you see that line being right now? Uh, and how far away could they be from what they could be? Yeah, I mean, I. sorry. I Quick drop here. Sorry, technical difficulties as usual. The iPods Pro fell out of the pocketbook here. Sorry about <laughs> that. Um, yeah, where do I think that they are? Well, I think that they're, you know, <laughs> whether it's one game away or two or several, whatever. I mean, I think that this is a group that we've seen how they played together when they were going well before the injuries. So I expect them to play well together again. I thought there were some signs of plays and some cohesion, but for the most part, it just seems a little bit disjointed in terms of their uh, the reads and going to spaces and the, you know, things aren't coming as instinctively, Sean, as they were before for that line is how I would describe it. Um, you know, in the game today, Blake Wheeler, zero shots on goal. Cole Perfetti had one. He had three attempts. Wheeler had no attempts. Mark Shifley had one shot on goal, two attempts. So, I mean, this is a line that can be extremely dangerous. We've seen it. Mark is having an exceptional goal-scoring year with 23. Three, I think already, maybe, yeah, twenty-three. Uh, so he's been exceptional. Uh, I, I like all the pieces that that line brings together as a trio. Right now, I would say that you know it's going to take some time for Wheeler and Perfetti to get their speed game up. I feel like Mark, you know, he hasn't been playing with a, as naturally offensive players in the stretch where those guys were out of the lineup. I thought there were times where he was really starting to mesh well with Adam Lowry. Uh, their skill sets were complementing each other one, you know, very pretty well. Um, but for the most part, right now, I just didn't see. I didn't see a lot of shifts, Sean, where they had that sustained offensive zone pressure. I thought a couple opportunities where Perfetti was dangerous, and for guys like Wheeler and Shy- and uh, Perfetti, I feel like they need some power play touches. 
And when you get the power play touches, now you're feeling a little bit more confident in your five-on-five play. Now you're seeing the plays develop before they happen, and now you're getting some speed through the neutral zone. You're attacking off the rush, but you're also getting some of those you know, cycling shifts in the zone time that have re- led to some dangerous chances um, for those guys when they have been su- when they've been really rolling. Um, you know, today I don't think the Jets the Jets didn't have a power play. The Canucks didn't take a single minor penalty. So, um, you know, was that a factor? Maybe. Uh, I have zero concerns about those players. Um, it's going to take time. We knew that. The fact that it took Nikolai Ehlers only two games to almost get back to. You know, I wouldn't say it was peak Ehlers, but pretty close to optimal performance. And reading off his teammates, I wouldn't be concerned at all. Rick Bonus and his staff, I'm sure, are not concerned, uh, nor should they be. Uh, these guys have a track record of success. Yes, Perfetti is still a young player. Uh, I expect him to continue to be dangerous as the games roll along here. And, you know, by the time this, you know, during this road trip at some point, I would think that we're back talking about, you know, these are lines 1A and 1B for the Jets. And, Here's the other part, Sean. On a night where the second, you know, let's call them the second line for lack of a better term right now, or let's call them 1B, whatever you want. Uh, on a night where they weren't as dangerous, the Jets got a third-line goal, and they got five points from the defenseman. And they got a fourth-line goal. So, I mean, that's that's what other thing that really good teams do. Dare I say, elite teams do. When your top six isn't having to carry the load every single night, you get complimentary scoring. You get offense from the defense, and you find a way to get the job done. Uh, so to me, zero concerns with that line, but obviously there's room for improvement. And I mean, they would be the first to tell you that also. So my take on on uh, Perfetti as he starts out here is I think uh, w- when we talk about getting back up to the speed of the game, I think the challenge for him isn't necessarily the speed of his feet because that's not really necessarily his game. The challenge for him is is the pace of the game and the decision-making process that comes with it. And what I feel I've been seeing from him right now is that his decision-making is just a little bit of a step behind. And I think we we hadn't seen it in the in the previous uh, in the previous game, but I think what we're seeing from him a little bit tonight was he started to kind of toss the puck out and make a little bit of hope plays just to try and get things rolling, trying to make something happen, trying to guess where to go with the puck rather than having that instinctual where your mind just makes the decision before you before you know what you're doing, your hands are moving and making a pass in a direction. But I think the one thing that I would say, I know I said it's not a foot speed thing with him because that's not necessarily his game. The one thing I would say is I feel like a lot of the time and there was a play where he just kind of seemed lost in his own zone. Uh, the, the Canucks got a real good chance out of it. And you saw when, when the play stopped, there was a bunch of jets around the net kind of protecting the net. And Cole Perfetti was just kind of standing off to the side in no man's land in a spot that wasn't necessarily, you know, it, it didn't look like he was accomplishing a lot of anything. And, I, I mean, this doesn't work for everybody. And, let, like, keep in mind where this is coming from. Rick Bonus or Scott Arneal or a million people could tell you, like, you know, have a better idea maybe of what to do. But one of the things that I've heard quite often with players like that is they get their hands going and they get their brains going by getting their feet going, right? And it's one thing that I haven't necessarily seen from Cole Perfetti so far is him doing that thing where he's just busting and moving and getting going. And then sometimes you get the puck and because you're moving fast, lanes are opening quicker and so you're able to move the puck quicker kind of thing. It just seems to me that he's like a little bit bogged down. I don't think it's that he doesn't have the capability to um, 
to to it's not that he doesn't have the capability to skate fast at this moment i think that it's he's sitting around and kind of waiting for something happening and because of that he's never really getting started so i would think that that's maybe what we're seeing a little bit from cole perfetti at this moment with blake wheeler i think it's just as simple as this there's a lot of ways in which we've said this father time wins all battles but right now uh blake wheeler has found a way to still be feeding father time in the corner for the most part in during this season but the one place that i always think that you'll see and i think we saw it at the beginning of the year and yeah a lot of people said to me when i said this at the beginning of the year blake is a notoriously slow starter and has been at points in his career but my personal take on this is when you're at the age that Blake Wheeler is, it takes a little bit longer to get going, right? Once he gets up to speed and gets his stride going, he's dangerous. And I think that's what we saw before he went out with his injury. He was dangerous and playing some of the best hockey of his career. Um, not sure if it's Kenny who's out right now or if it's me who's out. Was that you or me out, Ken? Ken? Okay. Um, Ken has. I'm you, here. Ken, do you lose? Is that you out or was that me out? Sorry, I I'm was out, sure. I think. Sorry. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll start My over thing went black. To... Sorry about that. My screen That's went okay. off. No problem. Um, just, I wouldn't mess with your... I don't think it's that bad, the uh, the helicopter in the background. So okay. um, I wouldn't mess with your okay, uh, with your audio. Um, just just to go back to Wheeler. Um, when I think when you're of that age, you can still be an effective player. We see it around the league with, uh, with players. Um, but I, I think for him... To get taken out of the lineup, it takes a little bit of time to get back to speed. And I think that that's just an age thing. Uh, he wouldn't admit to that. He would never use it as an excuse. My guess is he'd probably be upset, upset with me for saying it or at least very vehemently disagree with me for having said that. But I think this is just a fact of the matter when you get a player who's of the age, he's 35, 36 years old, you take him out of the lineup, it's going to take some time for them to get back up to speed. Whereas we see from a player like Nick Ehlers, who's walked into the lineup, his speed is already extremely dangerous. And I would say this, what I said about Cole Perfetti, I, I think that he's kind of waiting for something to happen rather than just going out and skating and trying to make something happen. Nick Ehlers is not waiting. Nick Ehlers has gone out and been like, I'm the guy who wants to skate and track down pucks. And, and that's what he needs to do on that line to get more puck touches, right? Because Pierre-Luc Dubois gets his puck touches because he goes out and he bullies, bullies people, he takes the puck, and then he just doesn't let you take it off him. So he's going to get time with the puck on his stick by the very nature of him being what he is. Kyle Connor is up to speed right now. He's been playing good hockey for the entire year, so the puck is finding him very easily. If you're Nick Ehlers and you want to carve out some time and space and time to have that puck on your stick with those two players on your line you better get going and he's got going i just thought his night tonight was as as good as things were for kyle connor as good as it was for him to get the first star of the game and as good as i think Pierre Luc dubois was all over again uh you know i mean geez we were talking about it is this guy gonna get 100 points this season the way he's going i think 47 he's and counting I was most impressed with Nick Ehlers tonight. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm giving him the tiebreaker with those other guys because this is a guy who's had his—it's his second game out. He's come off injury. He really hasn't played a lot of hockey this year. For Nick Ehlers to look like what he looked like tonight, for him to make the passes that he made tonight, for him to get on the scoreboard the way he did and do that on just his fourth game of the year uh, and his second game since he's returned from injury. Boy, oh boy, what is he going to look like 
when he hits his absolute top speed. It's going to be scary. I think what we're seeing, Ken, right now is um, Kyle Connor, who I think we all thought had a slow start to the season, is back to playing the best hockey we've ever seen him play before. I think we're now seeing at this moment, and it's a pretty obvious comment if you ask me, we're seeing the best version of Pierre-Luc Dubois we've ever seen before. But my take on this going forward, throwing on the tinfoil hat and making uh, a guess on this, my take is that we are going to see what we are about to see over the next little stretch of hockey here is the best version of Nick Ehlers that we have ever seen before. And that line sure has the potential to be something. Yeah, no doubt about that. And like I said, I mean, Blake Wheeler had a great start to the year. I would not be concerned with him. I would expect him to be kind of back up to speed here uh, over the course of this road trip. Uh, Ehlers, fantastic. But the only thing for Ehlers is now he's got to do it on a consistent basis. I think that he will. Uh, He's been eagerly, you know, patiently waiting to get back into the lineup. Uh, I know it's been a challenge to have to wait. Uh, I think that this is something that we, like I said, we've been expecting this line to be able to generate for a very long time. So to me, I think it was just a matter of time before their skill sets. And I liked what Kyle Connor said. They think the game similarly. And, you know, Ehlers was, you know, really complimentary towards Dubois' ability to draw defenders to him and then find a way to find his line mates open. And really good job by Dubois to create that turnover on Kyle Connor's uh, hat-trick goal, right? I mean, some, you know, he stole the puck from Pedersen. It goes to Ehlers. Ehlers finds Connor in front of the net, and he buries it. So uh, I think there's enormous potential for that trio, and, and I think that the you know there's really good potential for that Shifley line as well. And I think they're really going to start to click here on this trip. And, you know, let's, uh, where are we at? We got 42. Yeah. Well, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to give a shout out to our main man. Yeah. For, uh, for any of the folks in the chat, uh, or are you listening later on the podcast? If you have any, uh, real estate needs, uh, you can contact our main man, Lou Furlan. If you're looking to buy your home, you know, if you're looking to sell, Sorry, if you're looking to buy a new home, looking to sell your current home, just curious about what uh, places are going for on your block or in another area of the city, uh, Lou Furlan is the guy to help you at Royal LePage Dynamic Realty. You can reach him at 204-791-9971 or at the office, 204-989-5000. His email is lou at louferlan.ca. That's L-O-U at L-O-U-F-U-R-L-A-N.ca. And his website is www.louferlin.ca. Lou is a great supporter in the community. He's a great realtor, and we appreciate his support on the Kenny and Rennie Show. Yeah, sharp-looking guy. Uh, And i got to say this, Ken, when we went and met with him before, he was uh, I'd never met him before. Um, He's got that kind of calming voice that just everything is like. I can imagine the process of going and selling a house through him or looking for a house through him because he's just got that kind of calm thing that like everything's okay it's like it, it feels like you're taking a warm bath when you talk to him you know because everything's kind of cool and everything's okay uh it's a it's an experience meeting lou uh, and i'm sure it's a phenomenal experience uh oh, working yeah, with him in a realtor uh, as a realtor so uh if you, anyone has realtor needs out there make sure you give our main guy a call and i think kenny i'm ready to hand out the, okay. uh, the uh, home field dig deeper comment of the uh, show, which will get you one of these, the old trunk shovel from our friends at Home Field, which has that nice edging in, etching in there. Uh, my daughters uh, showed them this today, and they were like, "Oh my god, hey, it says K and R on there!" I was like, "It yeah, does. It's yeah. classy. It's classy." The Home Field folks. Uh, I think I'm going 
to hand this to Jeff Johnson. I like this comment. Jeff Johnson says, no surprise the Jets beat the Canucks. What was surprising was that it wasn't the Jets' best effort and that Josh Morrissey didn't have a point and the Jets scored seven times. The Scheif line was quiet tonight. There's a lot going on there, but I thought the exact same thing. Ken, I am so used to Josh Morrissey scoring that, to watch them go out and put up seven points and see Josh Morrissey not be a part of that absolutely blew me away. Uh, it, it was a night where it looked like everything was going to go in. And I mean, just for Josh Morrissey, we, we are full on at the stage where it's an expected outcome that Josh Morrissey is going to get a point or a few points in a game. Uh, I like this comment by Jeff Johnson. And that's why he wins the home field dig deeper comment of the game. Congratulations, Jeff Johnson. All you have to do is direct message me at SN Sean Reynolds. I need your full name. And I need an email to send it to, or I sent it out in the chat because I know there's some people who are saying they won shovels uh, and uh, they haven't got them yet. We're trying to make sure we get those to everybody out there. Uh, so if you don't have Twitter, T Kona Paul, you're a guy here. Uh, if you've got email, I sent my, I put it in the chat room. I, my work email is there. Send me an email there and I'll be able to send that out to you. And you'll get one of these bad boys. They're beauties. You want one. Uh, so make sure you send me those messages. And you know what, Ken, while I'm here, I'm just going to read out the I got my email in there list. too, buddy. I got my yeah. email in there too if people need it. There you go. Uh, I'm just going to read out the list of people who have won and haven't claimed yet. Kenny's Water Bottle says he's re- reached out to you. He should reach out again. Blue Thunder, I see you're here. Make sure you send me a message. Paul Robert, Ryan Friesen, if anyone knows how to get a hold of them, let them know. Ice Mel, great. I haven't seen them for a while. Maybe they're still there. Kenny's Water Bottle actually won two. T. Kona Polly, I just mentioned to you. Lynn Reimer, uh, I know that she doesn't live here. Uh, maybe she'll hand that over to her brother. BA Split just sent me a message. I got it. I will get it to you. John Rayo, you were in there saying you didn't have an email, or sorry, you didn't have Twitter, so send me an email. Robert Starr, Scardi, and Baba Jet, and uh, our newest winner, Jeff Johnson. All you need to get a hold of us, and we will get you your voucher so you can go pick up your very own home field dig deeper shovel thank you for your interest ken let's talk about riddick stay on the um, d quickly sorry i wanted to stay on the okay, d quickly finish, you said without josh marcy getting a point the jets still got five points from the defense i know, I know. Uh, that makes it weird so two from two from brendan dillon one from pionk a goal from Demello, and an assist by uh dillon Sandberg on the shorthanded marker. Uh, I love the fact that Rick Bonus gave total credit to Scott O'Neill for switching up the D pairings, which um, struggled in the first uh, period and change. Uh, I thought that, you know, you know that I am a fan of the Dylan slash Schmidt pairing. Uh, I thought that they were steady uh, out there when they got put back together. I got more time for that unit together. Um, you know, obviously DeMello contributed on the shorthanded marker, uh, you know, I prefer him with Morrissey. Uh, Pionk got an assist, but it was another one of the odd games where there was some some things happening in the defensive zone when Pionk was out there. Lots of effort again, but I didn't find his game to be uh, you know involved. Though three hits, three shots, four attempts. I'm not sure that you know again. And I advocated it going into the year, Pionk and Morrissey to play together. I haven't seen that chemistry with those two on a pairing. Um, I think it probably. I'd like to see more of Pionk with Dylan Sandberg. Um, I'd like to, you know, 
Morrissey is a guy who you know plays with DeMello, and his best minutes have been with DeMello this year. So I would imagine that they'll be going back to that group when the road trip begins against the Detroit Red Wings. But the fact that that group still got five points, including a big shorthanded goal without Morrissey contributing, um, and that's not anybody sounding the alarm bell. I mean, I, met, I, I was talking about it with Steven Stamkos uh, on Friday, Sean. I mean, Stamkos blown away that Morrissey has not gone consecutive games without recording a point this season. Like, yeah. we're at game 40. This is a defenseman that's on pace for, you know, 90-ish points. Uh, that's hard enough to do for a forward, let alone a defenseman, is what Stamco said. He was just incredibly impressed uh, by the decision-making and John Cooper also raving about the season uh, that Josh Morrissey is having. So, yeah, I mean, I just want to get that quick thing about the defense. It'll be interesting to see uh, how they run the defense pairings and, uh, the other thing I'll be curious about, if Saku Menelainen was in a regular jersey yesterday at practice, Sean, uh, if Menelainen is activated, I would imagine that uh, Vili Hanela could be on his way back to the Moose. I said the other day I thought that maybe it was matchup uh, related, but you know, if they're not playing Hanela against the Canucks, I, you know, I know the Canucks have a dangerous power play, but... Um, if you're not playing him in two straight, where you are, they going to roll him out against the Detroit Red Wings on this trip? I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Obviously, um, you brought up a couple of things there that I want to go because we, we do have to talk about Riddick, and I do want to quickly for talk sure. about the Jets. Ek, we'll get to, to that before it's done. I just wanted to make a couple points that you were talking about. A, when Stephen Stamkos is talking about you know being blown away by what Josh Morrissey is doing. Keep in mind, this is a guy who's played alongside Victor Hedman for the the majority of his career. Like Victor Hedman will be in the competition for being the best defenseman of his generation. And this is a guy that Steven Stamkos has spent almost his entire career with. So if you are being blown away by the performance of a defenseman, and you have got to witness one a generational type defenseman on your blue line for the entirety or for most of your career. I mean, that's saying something. What Josh Morrissey is doing right now is special. It's crazy, uh, and that's why it seems so strange that he just didn't uh, he didn't pitch in tonight, especially with five uh, defensemen getting in on the action. The other thing I wanted to talk about, Kenny, you and I had a conversation about this on the outside of it. Uh, let's go back to the whole idea of what everyone was talking about. Um, when it came to the Jets being a lead or not. The one thing I will say is this. It's something that only a number of, of fans of teams would have seen, like Chicago Blackhawks fans, Tampa Lightning fans. Maybe you could throw the LA Kings fans in there or the Pittsburgh Penguins fans. But when you watch your team go all the way to a Stanley Cup final and see like the kind of style of hockey that they play – you kind of get to see a team at a level that most other people don't. So the funny part about it is, uh, and I will say this, John Cooper's reaction to that Jets loss the other day was not what you would have thought. Everyone here was talking about it being like uh, uh, a a uh, measuring stick game. They were talking about it's intensity. Cooper thought his team played atrocious in that game. And I will say this. I don't want to give them a pass on that. And I don't want this to be one of those things where, yeah, no, the Jets didn't play good. The Tampa Bay Lightning just played really bad. I thought the Jets were, you know, the more mature team in that game. I thought they were the more competitive team. But the one thing that I had thought last season, when the Tampa Bay came rolling into town and lost to the Winnipeg Jets, most of you will remember that game, is, boy, it sure didn't look like the Tampa Bay Lightning team that I've had the privilege of covering through a lot of this streak uh, in the playoffs that they've won these cups and, and and the answer to that is because it's not like the team that rolled in last year and lost to the Jets didn't at all resemble the team that Ken and I had covered in the playoffs last year in the cup final 
And I would say that again. The the one thing about what we saw in that game yesterday against the Jets is that was a very mistake-prone uh, team the Tampa Bay Lightning were in that game. And that team does not exist in the playoffs. Like, what you saw from them is not the version of the Tampa Bay Lightning you need to beat to win a Stanley Cup. I'm not trying to diminish what the Winnipeg Jets did but a lot of times, and I saw a lot of people celebrating and saying, that's it. This makes them elite. They beat this team. That's the level that they're at. That's not the Tampa Bay Lightning of the playoffs. That's not the Tampa Bay Lightning team or the Tampa Bay Lightning game that gave them so much success in the playoffs. We never saw them play and make those kind of mistakes in any of the games that I watched them in the playoffs over the last number of years. And and the one thing I was going to say back to the conversation you talked about, Ken, of where the Jets rank amongst the elite teams, and I know you've got Boston out there and ahead of everyone else. And I know I I I know I'm not. I, I don't want to diminish what the Jets have done. One of the important things about the Jets game today was the success they had at five on five, because when we saw them beat the Tampa Bay Lightning in that last game. I still contend this in that last game. The Tampa Bay Lightning were the superior team at five on five. They looked a lot more dangerous. They looked a lot more put together. They looked like they were taking it to the Jets, I thought, for most of that game. The Jets win that game on special teams. But the special teams are out there because Tampa was making mistakes they won't be making in the playoffs, which means those opportunities won't exist in the playoffs the way that they did in that game. So the Jets have to and this to me is the final frontier of the game that they have to bring around other than rooting out what we saw from the first two periods here tonight is the Jets have to get to be a better five on five team if they're going to succeed and go to where they want to get to in the playoffs this year and where you Jets fans want them to get to the the important part of that is what we saw from that Jets top line tonight is is five on five success right like that line i think is going to take the jets five on five numbers and really start spiking them because that's going to be a, t- a line that doesn't need to wait for a power play in order to score that line is going to be able to go out and get it done um so that was just some thoughts that i wanted to get out here before we did get to david riddick david riddick ken i'm going to let you take a little swipe at him not the game that you you would write home about but what role did you think he played in this game yeah, I mean, it's interesting, Sean. I mean, I <laughs> first and foremost, David Riddick hasn't started since December 23rd. Um, not great at math, but today is the 8th of January. So 15 days between starts. Uh, I Like I said, I thought he was very, you know, he was a little bit asleep at the wheel on the first goal that was disallowed by the coach's challenge. One of those goals is a perfect tip. Um the second goal was a perfect high slot redirection. JT Miller made a great play. Uh, another one of the goals from JT Miller. Could the goalie have had it? Sure. But Pierre-Luc Dubois, a guy who almost never loses a puck battle, lost a puck battle beside the net with Elias Pettersson, right? I mean, I think two or three players lost a puck battle, and then Miller got two whacks at it. So I don't have an issue with that goal really either. So, uh, you know, could he have stopped two of the four? I guess. I mean, I'm not saying it was a great game by any stretch, but, I mean, Horvat's got 29 goals. He went bar down. I mean, people saying that, oh, Hellebuck would have had it. Well, he might have. But, like, this isn't a floater. It It was a goal from one of the elite goal scorers in the NHL this year. So, 
Uh, I don't think he played great, but at the same time, he had 34 stops in a game where the Jets were not sharp defensively. Yeah. Um, he has a 275 goals against and a 905 save percentage, Sean. Um, you know, we know that David Riddick was, you know, in danger of staying in the league uh, this year. But to me, he's had 10 starts out of the Jets' 40 games. I told you going into the season and everyone else, I think Riddick needs to be in the 20 to 22 start range, provided they have breathing room at the end of the year. Last year, David Riddick had 17 total starts. He had a 357 goals against average and an 886 save percentage. That wasn't good enough, but he barely played last year. I think he only had 12 starts. So um, I think David Riddick has been fine. In his 10 starts, he has six wins. I mean, people were all going crazy. Oh, how is Riddick going to get 10 wins like Eric Comrie got? Well, he's already over halfway to that number. And I'm not saying that Riddick is playing as well as Comrie did last year. He isn't. But the job of the backup is to provide his team with the chance to win the hockey game. And Sean, most nights, 34 saves is good enough to win the hockey game. So today it was also good enough to win the hockey game. Do I think it was his A-level game? No. I also don't think it was a D or F-level game. I think it was a mediocre game, but he played well when it mattered. And he was better than the other two goalies that were at the other end. So... Ultimately, that's really the only thing that matters. And I mean, somebody asked earlier in the chat, I mean, why did the Jets play David Riddick today? Well, David Riddick's going to play against the Pittsburgh Penguins on Friday. So you're not going from December 23rd to next Friday and asking a guy to make 35 saves against Sidney Crosby and company. That's why he played today. And Sean, we say this all the time. If a team can't play its backup against a bottom 10 team, that backup shouldn't be in the league, right? I mean, teams have to play their backup goalie. Sometimes they have to play them against a playoff team. But otherwise, they play them against in a back-to-back situation or at a time where their number one guy needed a breather. And today was, a, I mean, Connor Hellbuck loves afternoon games, Sean. He would have loved to be in the net today, but he needed a break. He had played a bunch of games in a row. And in order for the Jets to not run him into the ground, they needed to start David Riddick. I think David Riddick was sharp enough. I don't think he was sharp. He got the job done, and I expect that this game will help David Riddick play better on Friday when he plays his next t- for the next time. I mean, is it possible the Jets flip-flop Hellebuck and Riddick for Buffalo and Pittsburgh? It's possible. I don't expect that to be the case. I expect Connor Hellebuck to start in his home state against the Detroit Red Wings. I expect him to play against the Buffalo Sabres, who have suddenly won 8 out of 10 games and are four points behind the New York Islanders in the race for the second wild card. So Rick Bonus talks about it all the time. I mean, he's worried about the team's 5 to 10 game blocks, not where they sit overall. And the Sabres are one of those sneaky teams, Sean. They've been below the line now for a long stretch, but they've had games in hand. And I think they're plus 22 in goal differential. So generally speaking, those teams find a way to get over the playoff line. So I expect Hellebuck to be in for the next two. Uh, Riddick will need to play better against the Pittsburgh Penguins. There's no doubt about that. But in this 10-game block, I would say David Riddick is at expectation somewhere in the neighborhood of that, wouldn't you? I mean, six wins, I would say is exceeding the expectation in terms of his play. I think David Riddick 
has been an adequate backup so far. I mean, can he play better? Of course, but I, I would say that he's been adequate so far. Yeah, well, I mean, here's something. You and I were sitting there up there, and we were kind of batting around the possibility that maybe Rick Bonus would pull him and put Connor Hellebuck back in there. Yeah, I didn't I think, think he this would, is, but... I didn't think so either, uh, and especially because, I mean, if there's a game where you think, like, your team is going to be able to score your way out of trouble, it's against that team in the way that they were playing tonight and the way that their goaltenders were playing, like... He didn't have a good night. Rick or David Riddick didn't have a good night, but he didn't have as bad a night as the goaltenders for the uh, for the Vancouver Canucks had. I mean, I like I like the Ehlers goal, and I think the Ehlers goal is an example of what he's capable of. But that's also an example of a goaltender entirely sleeping on on what a player is capable of. I mean, I knew I knew he was coming from behind the net and going to go around and go put it far aside. That goaltender looked like he was entirely unsuspecting of of him taking that shot. Um, th- this this is a night I think that Rick Bonus uh, needs to stand behind his goaltender, and he did, and it's yeah. good. And what the payoff was was that R- that David Riddick came out in the third period and played his best hockey at that time. Now we have on this very program numerous times talked about Connor Hellebuck in games where he lets in a couple of bad goals. It doesn't happen often, but when he does. Quite often what he does is he shuts the door after that. Now, it was a bunch of goals. It was four goals, you know, and, and I think the, the the optics of the first goal that he allowed that was disallowed because of the offside uh, just adds to kind of the way people feel about this game. But David Riddick had a really good third period. There were a couple really high-quality chances for the Vancouver Canucks that if he would have let them go in, maybe, just maybe, Vancouver would have got their act together enough to actually make a, a push and pull out this game and win it six to five or or seven to six or something like that. He showed up at 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 a time. I'm not going to say the right time because the right time would have been in the first or second period. But there was a point at which he finally said, "Okay, my team has got my back. I'm going to have their back from this point going forward." And he pulled it off. Um, I think you got to give credit for that because we've given credit to Connor Hellebuck in the past for having had bad games, and then all of a sudden. The third period, he shuts it down. The Jets come back and they win that game. So you got to give, if you're going to give credit there, you got to get it. You have to give credit here. David Riddick was better than the goaltenders on the other side of the ice from him tonight, which is what he needed to be. And I think to your point, the amount of shots that he faced, it's really not as bad as it looked. And it did look bad at one point in that game when he'd allowed, I think it was four goals on 18 shots or something like that. It looked bad at some point, but if he ends up, having 34 shots and only allowing four goals. It's not a banner night, but it's enough as a backup goaltender, I think. Uh, and it's definitely enough when your team is going out and doing what they did there. So, yeah, I I, I, I guess it's a long way of saying I understand why fans would have apprehension. I think I saw someone on Twitter say, oh, man, if Connor Hellebuck goes down, this team is toast. I'm not fully in that camp. Uh, but this isn't the kind of game that inspires confidence in your backup. But at the same time, I do think he played a hand in this win because there's a couple saves there in that third period that could have turned that game back in Vancouver's uh, uh, momentum for the third time, and that could have been problematic for the Winnipeg Jets. Before we go, uh, I I am actually going to jump on this one here. We love to handle uh, conversations from the crowd. Doug Henderson says, Rennie, what's your version of a big swing before the trade deadline? Ken, I'm going to go with something. I'd like you to do that as well before we shut this down. For me, I think they need a big, big forward, uh, Like, and I've, I've talked about this, a Jonathan Taze type, um, 
uh, you saw him at work tonight uh, with the Vancouver Canucks, a Bo Horvat type. I think they need to do something like that. I think they need to get a solid defenseman, and I think they need to get uh, an established veteran defenseman who adds to their depth down the way. Um, I know a lot of people are all about Billy Hanlon, bringing him up and even Dylan Sandberg. I think that you have to be prepared for the idea that if you go into the playoffs, A, you have to be prepared for injuries on the back end, but B, you have to be prepared that that spotlight may get a little bright for young players and that you have someone who's capable to stand in at that time. For me, that's the, never mind the big swing, that's the perfect trade deadline acquisition is if you can get three lines that have, you know, that situation where you've got Pierre-Luc Dubois coming out down the middle and Mark Shifley coming down the middle and then someone else along the lines of a Jonathan Taze coming down the middle, you be that starts to become an unsolvable puzzle for the other teams that you're playing against. Uh, I think if you add another quality defenseman, uh, that just adds to your depth and puts everything down a little bit. And I think if you add that veteran defenseman who's cheap, but the kind of guy that you could count on, that's exactly what you're looking for. If you're Kevin Dayoff, to me, I see this year as an opportunity uh, to say the way my team is playing right now, if I can go out and make the right plays, I can create a team that is near unstoppable just by creating a great lineup. Never mind what I already have and never mind what my coach is capable of doing in this. To me, I think that's the way Kevin Dayoff needs to approach this deadline is that he, amongst these players, has an opportunity to put his mark and create something that the rest of the league just may not be able to handle. I think if they go in with the lineup they have right now, you can't say that. Um, and that there's other teams out there that have better lineups that could put it all together at the right time and play a game and get past the Jets based on that. You don't want that to happen. So if you're Kevin Dayoff, I think a big-time center who can add to that center depth, I think a decent uh, defenseman to go up there, and then a depth veteran defenseman who's on the cheap uh, is exactly what you need to do. If he pulls that off, I give him all the credit in the world, and my take on whether or not this team is capable of winning a cup takes a huge, huge, huge bump up the ladder. Ken? Yeah, I mean, I, I've advocated for Bull Horvat being one of the targets. I mean, the price tag's going to be obviously high. Luke Shen is yep. a great one. Transcutico Napoli, um, I would say he would be a perfect addition on the right side for sure. Uh, he's a guy you could play with a bunch of different players, uh, whether you play him with Josh Morrissey, whether you play him with Brendan Dillon on a traditional shutdown pairing, you know, wherever you want to put him, he would help uh, matters. I would use the Colorado Avalanche as a great example. And, you know, it's also possible that you go for a couple of smaller moves and, and you could still have impactful players that aren't necessarily top six players. They could be middle six players. They could be fourth line players. The reason I mentioned Colorado, Sean, last year they went out and got Arturi Lekkanen. They got Josh Manson. They got Andrew Cogliano and they added Nico Sturm. So they added four pieces to the puzzle. They weren't all, they were not one big swing person. But they fit because the high-end elite talent that the Avalanche had up front. Josh Manson bolstered the top four on the back end, and they did a nice job of supplementing their depth. So to me, uh, I mean, also too, the Tampa Bay Lightning would be another example. For my Weebs World Weekly NHL column, I wrote about Brandon Hagel. Last year, people were like, why are the Blackhawks giving up two first-round picks and two high picks previously in Radish and Boris Kachuk? 
for Brandon Hagel, who was having a great year, had 21 goals. But they had three years of team control at $1.5 million. Now Brandon Hagel is one of the leading scorers on the Tampa Bay Lightning. So they got Brandon Hagel, they got Nick Paul, and they added some defense depth. So uh, Monaghan is interesting, uh, Chef Richard. I mean, I don't think think he's a fit because he's not necessarily an up-tempo player and he's not necessarily known for being a great defensive player. It's an interesting thought. I don't think he fits. One person I would say, Sean, that I've been doing a little bit of research, trying to get things ready, I think maybe, I know I've mentioned Ivan Barbashev, I still think he'd be a perfect fit. I wonder if a guy like Nick Benino could be a fit here given what he did with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He also has, you know, he also has central division experience with the Nashville Predators. He's a guy that might be able to supplement that fourth line. Uh, he's a guy that's killed penalties in the past. He has some skill. He's not overly physical, but he is feisty, so I wonder there um, you know, it, it'll be super interesting. I mean, these are lists that where I'm going to be locking down on the next little while here, but uh, I still think that those are the kind of players that, that would be kind of on the radar. But, I mean, every team that thinks they can win are going to be looking at those type of players. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see how this, this deadline is approached by the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, and some people were asking, uh, thanks to Avco Cup, who mentioned the Jets are one point ahead of their 2017-18 pace. Uh, where they had a 114-point season and made it all the way to the conference finals. So, uh, Just we'll keep in-, in mind how they finished that season. They were oh, straight. They fire. were a wagon on fire down a very steep hill at that Absolutely, time. So, yeah. so, so I'm not you, saying it's the same. Would, what yeah, I'm saying is it's impressive. You need to be ahead of that pace to get Agreed. to finish ahead of that pace because they were just... And I mean, they don't have they to be at that pace. Even if they get to 100-point pace, that's an impressive season. You know. Yeah, on- yeah. Um, I just wanted to say something here. T. Cornapoli or someone said something along the lines of going to get someone for cheap. That, to me, that's the thing, and it's 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 one of the things here that that I always I always get a kick out of any fan base when they make trades. It's always like their idea of a trade is like, hey, let's get. Why don't you give us your very best asset? And we'll give you our four most problematic assets. How does that sound, <laughs> right? Take all our problems and give us all your benefit, right? That's that's usually the way a lot of fans yeah. will build things up here. I know T. Conapoli had says something about getting Josh Anderson for cheap. This is the one thing I'm saying, and this is the one thing. If and I, I think he's got to do it this year, and I honestly think that he is going to take big swings this year. If you're a Jets fan, you need to get the idea out of going and stealing a great player away from someone for nothing out of your head. And you need to kind of square yourself with the idea that if the Jets are going to go out and take a big swing and try and build and put together a roster, to Ken's point, that like they were already impressive. But then after the trade deadline, you took a look at the Colorado Avalanche, who may have been able to win the Cup without the players they added, but they added that. You take a look at a team and you think like, where's the hole? Where is the hole in that roster? If you want to build that kind of roster... You have to pay the price to do it. And that's how it goes. So I, I guess I'm just saying this. Square this away. Get it through your head that if the Jets are going to do that this year, they're going to pay a price. And it's going to pay a price that a lot of people are going to be like, no, we didn't want you to get rid of that guy. That's what it's going to take to go down that road. And I'm already in that mindset. Like, And, and it's another reason why I'm here. Whereas I, I saw someone earlier on say, if those guys don't lock down like the Shifleys and the Hellebucks and the Pierre-Luc Dubois, um, if they don't lock down this year, move them in the offseason. If the Jets go on a run and do something really good this year, regardless of winning the Cup, 
say goodbye to the idea that they're giving up on next season. I'm very confident about that for next year. The Jets are all in, and all in means that the idea of sacrificing the future to make what you need to happen in the present happen right now. So, listen, he's done this in the past. Kevin Cheveldayoff has done this in the past where he tries to bargain bin his way to putting together a really good roster. It almost worked in 2018 by adding um, Statsny into the mix there. And the reason why it worked is because the Jets were already a wagon without Statsny, but they found one more little thing that fit. But the idea that you're going to go out and get significant players, like to me, this isn't time to cheap out. This isn't time for the Jets to go bargain bin hunting and and try and slide a guy in here and there and see if it works. This is a year where if there's a guy out there on the market and this is the price and you know that this guy is going to help you, then you pay the price, you swallow it, and you move on, and you take your you take your medicine and you take your best shot. That's how it goes. So. Hey, all of this, let's give them four pieces of trash that we don't want anymore and have them hand us that brick of gold. Get that out of your head. Start preparing yourself for the idea of sending significant assets out the door to get a significant asset back in the door and maybe put the Winnipeg Jets over the top. Can you have anything to say before we go? Yeah, quickly, people going crazy about Nick Benino. Nick Benino is 34 years old. He is on a cap hit of $2.05 million. He has 10 points this year. I'm not saying he would be the top six edition. He would be the Andrew Cogliano type of guy. Um, and the Sharks would have to eat half the salary in order for that to make any sense whatsoever. So um, I still prefer a package of Ryan O'Reilly and Ivan Barbashev probably. Uh, unless they can get Bo Horvat or somehow put a package together for Timo Meyer, Timo Meyer, uh, you know, provided they would be open to have the ten point five million dollar uh, qualifying offer, which would mean they think they could sign him longer term. Uh, some people have mentioned Josh Anderson. Josh Anderson is the type of piece that would be very interesting. Power forward. He's sort of been up and down, a little bit inconsistent, but that's the kind of player that can help a team win in the playoffs. But like those guys aren't. They're not. The Jets would not be getting him for cheap. I mean. Um, and it would be more likely that he would be involved in a summer deal anyway. But uh, I, fascinating to see what the approach is going to be like. Uh, you know, our friend Frank Saravalli uh, had an article up this week at Daily Faceoff talking about the you know the interesting level of third party intervention where teams that are tight, tight to the cap will have to use a third party and toss them a sweetener in order to take a you know a guy who's making uh, you know ten million dollars may need to get a fifty percent here and then a second team going 50 percent to knock that 10 and a half down to five and exactly a half, five and a half and then to 2.75 uh exactly. the jets are not one of those teams they project to have roughly five million dollars or just under six million depending on what happens on the injury front when it comes to trade deadline day on march 3rd uh, but right now we'll see how things shake down um you know on those fronts and see what the health is like and you know it's going to be a fascinating time uh, over the next couple of months. And that here's the scary thing. I mean, not scary to me or you, but I mean, March 3rd is fewer than two months away now. So things are going to be ramping up, not necessarily this week coming up, but in the next month, I think it'll be fascinating to see because every, every year, one of the GMs tries to get out ahead of the pack and make a preemptive strike and not try to wait until the last day. So I wonder when the Jets will be looking to strike and when teams like Vancouver will be looking to find their optimal package. Do they want to wait to the last second? 
on Bo Horvat, or does the bidding start early? And do they want to get ahead of the game uh, rather than you no? Know, again, they're not going to be left holding the bag. Horvat's going to move before the deadline unless they can sign him. But uh, I think it'll be fascinating to see how all teams operate when it comes to the deadline this year. And the Jets have a decided advantage over some of those teams that are in LTIR or right up against the cap. They should have a little bit more flexibility and wiggle room. No doubt. Uh, I just wanted to say something here. Uh, T-Shoe is a local media needs to sniff things out, given Chevy's hush history. <laughs> Listen, this has got to come from somewhere. This is how this works. Kevin Dayoff doesn't tell anyone anything, and then when he makes a deal, he calls Darren Dreger at TSN. If it's coming from any other source, that means that that source got it from somewhere else. This is just the way this works. This isn't a hustling thing. This isn't anything. This is a locked-up thing that has happened from the very day that Kevin Dayoff took over this team. That's how it works. So if you're getting sources from elsewhere, it came from, from other people or from other teams or other GMs that have been approached by Kevin Dayoff. But there's a very direct correlation between where the news breaks from Kevin Dayoff and where it ends up. That's the way it's always been. This isn't this isn't lazy reporters this is this is a a, whatever this is a relationship that has not not been touched since 2011 uh so don't don't give the like i i i take i take exception to the ideas that reporters in this town aren't hustling there's different markets that handle things differently. For the most part, you should know this. Most stories go to the big guys because that's just the way it goes. There are certain markets like in Florida where they will actually take their stuff to local guys and break it. But, you know, like the days of like the local sports guy at CTV News breaking a trade are over because that's not the way things happen. And there's been a very definitive relationship that's existed here in Winnipeg for years. And that's just the way it goes. Uh, okay. Time to shut it down here. Wanted to thank everybody. The chat room, uh, I should add in the whole, uh, um, if you like what you see, make sure you click a like and make sure you um, uh, subscribe to our channel. We're just close to breaking 3,000, so it would be nice if you could help us get over that. So if you haven't done that yet, please do so. Uh, wanted to thank you, Ken, for doing a great job. Thank you to the chat room for, as always, doing a great job. All of you who I shouted out for the Dig Deeper Shovel Awards, Make sure you get a hold of myself or Kenny. Somehow you want one of these. They're beauties. They're absolutely great. Um, And on top of that, uh, I just wanted to make sure I ended the show like I always do. If you appreciate the conversations that are happening in these spaces, please appreciate our sponsors who make sure that these conversations keep happening in this space for us. That's Vittorio Rossi, TransCanada Brewing, the Johnson Group, Lou Ferlin, and Homefield. Thank you so much to them. Support them if you can. And make sure you tell them Kenny and Rennie sent you. If you do... Uh, that's it for us, Ken. Next game is when? Next game is Tuesday at Detroit. I'll be I'll be there. You'll be there, okay. And then the game after that is Pittsburgh on Friday night. Is that how it goes? No, Thursday, uh, Thursday in Buffalo, then Pittsburgh. Thursday Friday. in Buffalo, okay. I will be sidelining uh, the game down in Pittsburgh before I get seconded over to do the hockey night. Oh, right, game I'm going to see you in between Pittsburgh. Co- yeah, I'll see you in Pittsburgh, and then I do the Ottawa Senators. Colorado Avalanche game on the Saturday night so uh, we're about to head out on the road and try some stuff out Uh, thank you so much we'll be doing shows from the road people Uh, hope to see you then uh, and we hope to see you Tuesday as well thank you everybody thank you very much everybody